Amen. You can be seated. This morning we'll be in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. We'll be looking at working out what God has worked in. And as you find that in your Bibles, it's uh, about the, the last third of the New Testament. Uh, Philippians is a letter written by Paul to a church that was concerned about him because he was in prison. Was, they weren't sure how that imprisonment was going to end. And so Paul writes a letter back to this church, and, and in it we find a, a, a church that Paul loves, a church that's, that's been very good to Paul, uh, that supported him, uh, that seems like a very healthy church. Uh, there are a few cracks, it seems, that Paul seems to be addressing, that there is some division, there's a little bit of fighting uh, going on in the church that seems to be about peripheral issues and not central issues, and so... Uh, we find ourselves in chapter 2 of, of him kind of unfolding that, unpacking that. Uh, and last week, we, uh, we looked at, he kind of looked at Christology and like uh, where Christ came from, how he humbled himself uh, to point the church to the fact that you need to humble yourself uh, as Christ did. And here again, we're going to find Paul go to a very uh, kind of deep theological truth to kind of uh, underpin this argument that he's making to hey be a church that is united uh, be a church that is united and that's what we want to uh, look at uh, this morning Philippians chapter 2 beginning with verse 12 therefore my beloved as you have always obeyed so now not as only as in my presence but much more in my absence Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we, we thank you so much for the work that you do inside us. Uh, God, that you are an indwelling God that comes within our hearts and, and works uh, out uh, the things that need to be worked out uh, in our own hearts through the gospel. And God, I pray that we would be a people that work that out in our lives as we live our lives, that we might uh, honor you and live lives that, that glorify uh, the gospel that has saved us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. What I want to do, I want to take, or most of our time is going to be focused on verses 12 and 13. And what I want to do is I want to start and kind of work backwards. I want to start at verse 13 and look at God's work within us, okay? So we're going to start uh, kind of backwards here. And what we see in verse 13 is an indicative statement. And this is a statement of fact, okay? This is not, this is, this is just simply fact. This is what God is doing in the life of the believer. That if you know Christ, if you've trusted in Christ, this is what's happening in your life. And that is that God's at work within us. 
The first thing I want us to notice is that God's work is an indwelling work. Look what it says in verse, at the beginning of verse 13. For it is God who works in you. We must realize that we worship and serve an indwelling God. And you go back even to the prototype of redemption, which is uh, his redemption of Israel, bringing them out of the land of Egypt. And we see that even in that moment, that prototype of redemption and what redemption is to look like, we see that his desire is to be a God that dwells with his people. Through the pillar of of cloud, the pillar of fire, and then through the construction of the temple that traveled with them, that sat at the center of their lives, at the center of their village, even as they were roaming in the desert and later as the temple was built. God was going to be a God that indwelled his people. Okay? He wasn't going to be a God that was just going to save and redeem and then say, okay, you know, go have fun, go, go do what you can do. No, he was going to be a God that was with his people. And we say, see that that's him throughout history. In 2 Corinthians 6, 16, it says, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Now, I love this building. I love it since the first time we, we started services in this building years ago. Uh, I think it's a phenomenal building and it serves our purposes very well. I don't like always like paying uh, the monthly payments, but I love this building. I think we should take care of this building. But I want you to understand something. This is not the house of God. In, 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 in much the way as our houses simply exist as four walls and a roof to, to keep the rain off our heads and to keep us cold uh, in the summer uh, and keeps us warm in the winter, that's essentially what this building is. Now, it is very special uh, in the sense that this is where we come together. And, and what happens here is very special. But it's not a mystical place. The mystical place is us. We are the temple of God. He indwells us, not buildings throughout uh, the world. He He indwells His people throughout the world. He's a God that is indwelling in us. If you've turned with to Him, He dwells within you, and and He's doing a work in your heart. God's work in us is a comprehensive work. It says he, he's in us both to works in us both to will and to work. Now, this is an amazing statement to me. God does not just give us the want to, and then we have to muster up the power to do uh, to do His will to obey Him. And it's not that He just hey He gives us the power and we have to muster the want to to do it. It says in this verse that both to will and to work comes from God there there is no boasting in anything other than Christ in us any act of obedience and act of good that we do has come through uh, to us through a God who wills and works within us in the Greek tense here it's it's not 
it, it is one of continuous work. It's not that he worked or that he's going to work. It's that he is always working in the hearts of his believers. You may say, why don't I feel like doing more good in my life? Or when I want to do good, why do I seem to lack uh, the power to do that? Well, we, we can be encouraged for He is still at work within you. This moment where you, you're unsatisfied with your sanctification and how, how you're growing, you need to understand that God is still working. That He's not done with you. That He, uh, as a Christian, He knows the day of your birth. He knows the day of your conversion. And He knows the day of your death. And the Scriptures have told us that He who began that work is going to bring it to completion. And we're not all going to be at the same place. We're not all going to reach the same level of, of practical holiness even though we all receive the same holiness in Christ, we're not all going to live as obedient lives as someone else. But we are going to complete the work that God has doing in us because He never stops. And think about this, the God in you does not lack for knowledge, power, grace, patience, persuasion, wisdom, there is not one tool that is not at His disposal as He works a work in you. And that should bring you confidence. That should desire, uh, make you desire to obey and to serve this God who is working in you that lacks nothing that you need to be obedient to Him. God's work in us is a purposeful work. We're told that, that God's work in us is a purposeful work. Look what it says in verse, at the end of verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work. For what? For His good pleasure. I often wonder if this is the disconnect that we don't see the work of God in our lives. Because a lot of times I don't think we desire the same good pleasure that he desires our pleasure for our lives is comfort right and yet so often his desire for our lives is holiness which doesn't often come with comfort we oftentimes when we you know, we, we also, we want to be made much of. And when the, we know the good pleasure of God is for us to make much of Him. But I think even sometimes we may, we may genuinely try to look at our spiritual lives and, and try to decipher what God is doing. And I think sometimes we may miss it. I think sometimes we may see a moment of weakness when, when maybe we committed that sin that we've committed so many times before and we once again see ourselves as an absolute failure. I can't believe I did that again. 
And we're looking through our lens at what we're seeing in the situation. I wonder oftentimes, is God not looking through a much clearer lens and maybe seeing that in that moment, for the first time, that when you really committed that sin, you really, really, truly repented. That you truly, in that moment, saw how bad you are and saw how great and gracious and, and, and just how needy you are of God. And so, in that moment, even though you fell in your sin, you grew in your understanding of your need for God. So, I wonder sometimes, do we not see, do we not miss sometimes in our spiritual failures, growth in our dependence upon Christ? And therefore, we miss what God is doing. Maybe in our lens, we think about, and I'm not near as far in my Bible study as I wanted to be for the year. I'm falling way behind. I'm still back in February, and it's December. We think, man, I'm doing terrible on this Bible reading plan. I haven't read enough scriptures this year. And maybe that's your lens, but maybe God is seeing something in you that the scriptures that you are reading, you're applying then maybe you're in a season where, as a, maybe as a mom, that, man, to sit down and read lengthy portions of Scripture just isn't possible. But those chunks that you're pulling out, man, you're applying in your desperation. You're applying it to your life. And God says, man, I'm working in you even when you think you're not doing that great. I'm growing you in your dependence on me. And I just wonder if sometimes we, because of just thinking that, it's all about me and it's all about my effort. We miss what God is actually doing in our lives. That he might be doing much more than we even understand. So now let's look at our work outside of us. If we just had verse 13, we would say, very good, very good. God does all the work. He is working in me to desire and to, uh, to work for his good pleasure. And so all I need to do is sit in the recliner and just wait for him to bring that desire to me or for him to, to, to give me the power to go do what he wants me to do. I, all I have to do, as some people say, is let go and let God, which means sit on the couch until God kicks me into gear. And I will say that that's a logical conclusion. When you read texts like verse 13 that are just so gripping of the work of God in us that He is doing it all, that there is no boasting, He's doing the work. It is, I think, logical at times to say, well, I don't have to do anything. But even if that be logical, it would not be biblical. And as Eric Alexander says when he's talking about this verse, he says it is better to be illogical and biblical than it is to be logical and unbiblical. For before this indicative, before this statement of fact of what Christ is doing in us comes an imperative, a call to action. And it was this Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
Now what does this not mean? This, this does not mean that we make a contribution to our salvation. We cast aside the worthless Roman doctrine that, that justification comes and then we must add to that justification our own righteousness to make it effective. We reject that. And rightly so. Salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. It is not our work that saves us. Jonathan Edwards said this, You contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. This isn't a matter of trying to attain the gospel. It's about living in the realities of the gospel. And this is really anchored back in verse 127 of this letter when he commands the Philippians to only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. The Christian does not attempt to live a life that would earn them the gospel. We never could do that. Never could we live a life where we're truly worthy of the gospel. But what we do do is to seek to live lives worthy of the gospel that's been given to us. And the work that's going on that, that we are working out through God working in us, first it is a very personal work. While Paul seems very appreciative of the close relationship that he has with the Philippians, there seems to be an indication that there's also a worry in Paul that maybe that relationship is too dependent. And here's a couple of reasons why I say that. Back in verse 127... He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in the, in the, in the one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So he's worried. Even if I'm absent, I want you living a life worthy of the gospel. And he says that in our text today. He's worried whether, whether I, I, I get out of prison, I keep corresponding, or I can come to you, or I can keep corresponding with you or whether i'm poured out in death no matter what happens i hope you'll be obedient to christ and then i think it also points in in this verse in verse 12 where it says work out your own salvation okay so paul's saying i can't work it out for you i may be dead tomorrow We love to pass blame for our spiritual lives, don't we? I just don't, I just don't feel like I'm getting fed by the pastors anymore. Or I just don't feel like my connection group is very connected to me, so I'm setting it out. Or man, my, my spouse, uh, she doesn't submit to me, or I'd be a great leader. And the wife says, well, he doesn't lead me or I'd be a much better Christian. And while we do have relationships, that is, it is the responsibility of those relationships to build and help us to grow spiritually. We must also realize that our spiritual life, our work, 
that we're to be working out is ultimately belongs to us and God. And that it's not always someone else's fault, but that it is our fault many times. So we need to be careful that we uh, look to our own responsibility for our own spiritual life. Yeah, I mean, as a pastor, I want to feed. I do want to provide a biblical sermon every Sunday that will be something that you can feed on. But I can't be there every, every day of the week making sure that you're relying on Christ and your affections are for Christ. That is God and your uh, work, mainly God's work in you to work that out. There are tools. Our spouses can be tools. Our pastors and others, our connection groups, our Sunday school class, they can all be tools that God uses to promote obedience in our lives, but it, we also must look to our own well-being there. And we see that, that it's a work of obedience. What is the work that we are to be doing? It is, it is this word that keeps coming up in this text, and, and it is obedience. We are told to be like Christ, who was obedient to the point of death. That's what this is, this, this work out your salvation with fear and trembling, this, this working out is about obedience. It's about being obedient to what God has told us to do. We are not working towards our salvation. Notice that. We're not working towards our salvation. We're working out our salvation. We're working out the salvation that is already in us. I think Alistair Begg, I think, uh, he came out, heard him say some, a couple of illustrations that, that helped me in this regard. He says it's often like at Christmas time, you get a gift and it is yours. It belongs to you. And that person has given that to you. It is now yours. But there may be some uh, instructions you have to read, maybe in how to put it together or how it works in your life or how that gift is going to work out in your life. And, and so in much the same way, uh, we have a salvation that's ours. It belongs to us. It has been given to us not for anything that we can do in our life, but because of what Christ did for us. But now that we have that gift, it's, it's now our job to see how does that fit in our life? How, how does that fit with my marriage and, and being a citizen in, in this world and my friendships and how I treat my neighbor? Not to win God's favor, mind you. Please, don't hear me saying that we ever do anything to win God's favor other than trusting in Christ. But to see joy the joy and the blessings of the gospel permeate all of our life i mean that's the goal not to win favor from god that he's already given us in christ but to receive the joy of saturating our entire life with that gospel he also uses the illustration of a wedding i mean to get married is fairly easy you go to the courthouse you get a certificate you get a justice of the peace, you get a pastor to, to sign that, and, and you say some vows, and, and you're married. It's a fact. 
But is that marriage done? You know, you're going to spend the next 50 to 60 years working that marriage out in fear and trembling. You are going to spend the, the rest of your days as a couple figuring out how this works. Two sinners thrown into a roof together, under a roof together. The, the, the certificate's written, it's a fact. But the work, working it all out, is still to come. We are simply working out what God has already worked in through salvation and faith in Christ. And it is to be a work that we take seriously. It says here, with fear and trembling. And, and Paul uses this term several times in his writings for, for different reasons. And it's really more about obedience. Just a reverent obedience. Like fear and trembling do the right thing. And I think what we oftentimes do is we hear a phrase like that, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And what it does is it causes us to start being introspective. And, and we start thinking, am I doing enough? Am I doing enough? You know, as I look at my works, I'm looking with fear and trembling in my own heart. Am I enough? Am I enough? Am I doing it right? Am I getting this Christian life down? And I don't think that is the point of fear and trembling. Because even in the context, what does it say? Fear and work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God that's working in you. You understand? The fear and trembling is not something you just sit there and just introspective. Just think about how bad you are and how, how, how you don't match up. No, it sends you to confidence with Christ. And that is what this is about. This fear and trembling is to send us to God. When we look at ourselves, it should cause us to fear and tremble. It, and, and send us time and time again to Christ and say, thank you for the work that you have done on the cross and the work that you're doing in me. God, it is you because I can't do it. And then we see our work among one another, and this is when he kind of, right, he's never really left what he's already been talking about, and that is putting others above yourself in the church. Don't, don't, don't fight, don't, don't cause division. And so we see it's a work of loving one another. Do all things without grumbling and disputing. Don't grub, grumble when others inconvenience you, and don't seek to be someone that is always fighting with one another. And this does not mean that we ever that we never have to hash out differences and and theological, uh, especially when it comes to important theological issues and how those things work out practically. I mean, there may be times for good, healthy, loving one another in truth enough to to debate an issue and try to come to terms with it. But that's not what was happening in the Philippian churches. By all indications, it was a per peripheral arguments that were dividing the church, not central gospel arguments. So we need to be careful with how we talk. Don't grumble. 
Don't dispute just for disputing. We see next that that work is a work that shines in a dark world, that you may be blameless and innocent, in verse 15, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Working out what God has worked in is, has huge ramifications in the world, especially in regards with how we treat one another in the church. John was big on this. His, uh, when he, and, and Jesus was big on it, obviously, but in, God's gospel, uh, in John's gospel, he keeps bringing out how big Jesus was about this. In verse, uh, when he's praying in the garden, the high priesthood prayer in John 17, 20, he says this, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That the church being one, what Jesus is praying, is what is gonna is one of the main things that's gonna make the world go, hey, he really was the Christ. And yet we can have three Bible, uh, three Baptist churches on the same street that split off of each other, all named Friendship and Brotherhood Baptist Church. And they all split over peripheral issues usually instead of staying one and then sending and launching people out to start new churches. And it's vitally important. Back in John 13, 35, Jesus said this, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How we as the church love one another has huge ramifications. So many times churches look at my moral life and I don't do these things and so I'm a good Christian. And yet they turn a blind eye to one of the main things that Jesus taught the world will be perplexed by. And that is if a group of people in the church who are different, in our church some speak different languages, different economical statuses, blue collar, white collar, black, white, all together and one and worshiping Christ despite our differences, that is what will get the world's attention. Especially in the world we live in where with social media it seems like everybody's ready to fight. Everybody's mad. Everybody's looking for an enemy. It's never, to me, it's so dark right now in that instance that if the church would simply be a people that loved one another, the world would go, that's pretty amazing, and I want to be a part of that. We see, lastly, that it's a, a work of enduring joy. Holding fast, verse 16, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I'm glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. 
This is simply Paul saying, may all of our labor, our work, it's worth it. It's worth it. Nothing can compare to the glories of knowing Christ and the gospel. And that it doesn't matter what's going to happen to me. It doesn't matter if I'm going to live. It doesn't matter if I'm going to be poured out tomorrow as a martyr for your faith. It doesn't matter. Whatever work I have to do, I will do it and I will rejoice. And you Philippians, you need to have the same attitude. To love the work and to rejoice, to have joy in the work that God is doing in us and the, and, and the work that is being worked outside of us, through the work in us. So I'm going to ask you to please stand as our musicians come. And Are you working out what God has, wor- has already worked in? Has God worked in you in faith to, to begin that spiritual life that He now is growing? If, he, if you've never done that, if you've never put your trust in Christ, I ask you this morning to please respond to Him and let Him go to work in you through the work that was done on the cross. If you have faith uh, and trust in Him, that He will be at work within you. I'm going to be down here. I'd love to talk to you. Christian, are you dependent enough on Christ? Are you trying to do it all on your own? To, when you look at fear and, and trembling, are you just, you just looking within, or do you look to the God that is at work within you? I pray that we would all look at what Christ has done for us and what Christ is doing in us, and then that would cause us to be obedient, not for God's favor, we already have that in Christ, but to let Him saturate with joy every relationship we have. I ask you to respond however God has spoken to you through His Word this morning. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank You that You're a God that indwells us. We're not on our own. And God, I I thank you for the confidence that we have in that. And God, help us to be people that are obedient. That seek to serve you and seek to serve others. Not a fear of trembling because of your wrath, but out of the joy of what you're doing and have done in our lives. God, move in us, move in us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.